0: us like kind of how you got into investing in general?
1: Sure. So almost 11 years ago, I was driving across the country in a camper from Florida to California. And I kept looking at all these RV parks. And I'm like, hey, it's just running parking spots. This has got to be easy. It is not running parking spots. (laughs) There's so much more to it. You're running this full-fledged business. But by the time, to California, I had been Google searching RV parks for sale and how to buy an RV park. And I found one in bankruptcy that was owned by the bank um, in the town near the town that I lived in. And I contacted the bank and said, Hey, I want to buy this property. And, and they're like, Well, how much money do you have? I was 26, and I was like, I don't have any money. <laughs> and so um, this was after the market had collapsed. and Uh, banks had things on their books that they needed to get rid of that they were essentially trying to operate themselves. So they gave me a loan for non-recourse with no money down for $3.2 million. And I had to figure out how to run an RV park. So
2: curious at that point, had you purchased like a home or anything before? Or was this like your first real estate? I
1: had a house. Yeah, I had my Personal residency. I didn't even know I had bought real estate at that point. You know, I knew nothing about real estate or real estate investing or R V parks or or any of that at that time. So yes, I was totally blind and in the dark. So how
0: did all that come about though? Like I I did you just like wake up one day and have a vision of you dreaming. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to be buying RV parks. Like how did that like
1: <laughs> I might be mildly impulsive? <laughs> and so I think there's something to be said with um we talk to, I'm sure you talk to beginner investors all the time and they have all this knowledge and and they know more sometimes than you and I do. And you're like, dude, why haven't you bought anything yet? Like just get started. What are you waiting for? And then, so there's something to be said about just jumping in because a lot of it is stuff that you can't be taught, you know, mistakes that you have to learn yourself. You're not going to listen to somebody else. And and there's something to be said for just jumping in and getting started. I I never imagined that uh, RV parks and mobile home parks would be my thing. But I love it. It's lots of fun.
0: So once they gave you like, okay, well, here you go. Here's a a, a loan for a uh, RV park for a $3 million, $3.2 million. Like then, like then what? Then you're like, thank you. Like, what, what? <laughs> like how do you go about like figuring that out? Like.
1: So day one at closing, uh, I remember it cause it was April 1st and I brought my mother to closing with me. I don't know if it was supposed to be support or what. And she's like, is this April fools? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, um, uh, kind of like a construction loan. They gave me uh, six months of interest only to kind of get it figured out. And even interest only on that big of a loan is huge. And, yeah. and there's utilities and all these bills. And I got the first uh, utility bill. And, you know, owning a home, I had been used to, you know, my $200 electric bill. And this one was like $12,000 for electricity. And so there's some Pretty big oh, mg what am I going to do moments when you first get started with that. And so the first six months I slept in the office floor trying to figure out how to run an RV park.
0: So when you uh, when you bought the RV park, did it come with like his own office or anything? It had a certain amount of spaces. Did it have his own like, uh, like staff at all? Like did it have anything?
1: Yeah. So there's an office, uh, two pools, a fishing pond and two bathhouses. Uh, there were a hundred sites and they had a hundred people living there with mailboxes outside and refrigerators outside. They were paying $300 a month and that included their site and all their utilities. Basically, they were losing money on them being there. And um, the staff kind of had a staff. There was a, an old lady who was in her 80s and she sat in the office all day and like took people's money. She, she was like a... Almost like a house mom, if you think of like a fraternity or sorority house. <laughs> the super nice old lady that was just making sure everybody was paying, and that was about it.
0: Nice. That had to be a weird, weird experience like day one, like showing up like, hey, guys, they just gave me this RV park, and uh, yeah,
1: so now, now what? <laughs> now what? <laughs> I know. I can remember one of the tenants coming in, throwing this huge fit, and he's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm like, dude, the bank owns it. That's as broke as it gets. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's weird. <good. laughs> so, how many how many slots were there? Were the um, so
1: like, when I bought that one, it had a hundred sites. Uh, okay. Since then, I've added uh, 21 cabins and 15 glamping tents,
2: oh, and wow. it's
1: a full fledged resort now. It grosses about. Two and a half million dollars a year. It's it's worth about thirteen million dollars now. So that one's doing awesome and pumping out the money and really. How great. long did it take
0: uh, take you to kind of get that being successful to flip it? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it it took me a couple years because honestly, I, I like I said, I didn't even know I'd bought real estate. I, I wasn't in real estate. I didn't know anything about running a business. So to really learn all of that took me a couple of years to figure out the marketing. There, there weren't resources like there now are on the internet and YouTube and all these things that you can watch and figure things out and, and connect with other people. So it took me probably three years to really get going to, to make that property start making money.
2: And what did the process look like? Did you come in and like all those RV tenants Were you like, you got to go, I'm putting in
1: like yeah. cabins and stuff? Or? So the the hundred sites are still there and and I gradually flipped them. to. So in the RV industry, it, if you think of it like maybe multifamily, you have short-term RV parks and long-term RV parks. And this one happens to be in the middle of a tourist town. So you don't want long-term yeah. tenants there. However, you don't want no income. Those long-term yeah. tenants were still bringing in you know, thousands of dollars a month with, with the couple that were there, and that's better than nothing. So, so I gradually um, converted the sh- sites, 10 sites at a time, to short-term versus that long-term. And back then, like we said, the Facebook was kind of the big social media thing. So I created a Facebook account and started trying to reach uh, RVers that way. And I started doing Google Pay for Clicks and Google AdWords and, and that was a big source for the first round of clients I started getting for the park.
0: Yeah. Cause I can, I can imagine that could be nerve wracking cause you have that massive loan that's all interest only and It's like, Oh wow. Now I have to get a bunch of people here in order for me to do all these things. Yeah. But
1: well, and it's a seasonal property, you know, RV parks aren't necessarily year round. that property is 10 months. So it, at least it's 10 months. You know, there's a lot of RV parks that are four or five, six months in the, Northeast uh, or Midwest that are a little bit shorter term, which is fine, you know, if you have a plan and you budget it accordingly. But if you're walking in blind, I don't think that would work very well. So where was this one located? That one's in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Okay,
0: very cool. Yeah, I've heard about uh, over there really well. So what what happened next? Like, so you got this property, it started getting right to your thing like, oh, I'm just going to focus on this one or do like, uh, let's, let's let's try it again. Let's, let's see if I can get So it
1: I think it took being introduced to some higher level investors and in understanding, first of all, that I had bought real estate and um, that it was a neat niche asset class that could make really good money. And so I bought a uh, the, the next thing that I bought was a duplex though it wasn't I kind of went backwards where you know yeah. most people get their <laughs> duplex first. <laughs> i kind of went backwards because having short-term rv parks um it is a full-fledged business that property has about 10 different streams of income coming in between golf cart rentals and the laundry facility there's a pizza kitchen there you know there's all these different streams of income so it's a full-fledged active business this is not something that's passive now i own enough properties that i manage the managers i'm i'm in florida now um, but I can manage them from a distance. But but back then when I was running that, I'm like, dang, this is, I don't want to do this forever. So I started buying the duplexes and the triplexes thinking, okay, I want to kind of stabilize my portfolio and have some stuff that's, that's a little more passive for someday when I decide to sell this property. But as I started getting into things like that, I started learning about leveraging debt. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I have so much equity in this property. I can pull it out and start buying other properties. And so, you know, I had less than $3 million in debt at that point on a $13 million property. So um, I bought a couple other RV parks, some mobile home parks. I I now have multifamily Section 8 properties. So uh, learning that, you know, meeting the higher level investors and learning things like how to leverage debt was a huge game changer for me.
0: So what was your process of going into like buying a duplex and then buying the mobile home parks and stuff like that? So what made you like did you just like how did you find the deals? Did you just know from other people did you partner with people like how did that process go?
1: Yep. So the duplexes, I uh, the first duplex I bought, I bought off the MLS, which is the easiest way when you don't really know what you're looking at and you don't really know what you're doing. I think for somebody who's a beginner, that's that's definitely the easiest thing to do. And Uh, I was also a broker for the fourth largest commercial real estate firm in the world for four years. And so I covered the US and Canada for them for RV parks and mobile home parks. And so this was after I had already bought an RV park. And so I learned a ton about mobile home parks also, which is, but mobile home parks are a pretty competitive asset class and their cap rates are pretty low. Meaning for the buyer, they can be very expensive and your return isn't that great if you don't really know what you're doing. So it takes a little bit longer to find those mobile home parks uh, than to find something more like a duplex or triplex. So I was buying those smaller multifamily asset classes until I ran into, uh, I have four mobile home parks now. So until I came across those that were within the area, I, was, I mainly buy in East Tennessee. So I have a team there of about 30 people. And so uh, it took me a little bit to run across some within my territory that met my buying parameters.
2: Hmm. Are they all? Are they all like the tourist, like resort style, or do you have so any for the term?
1: so those so mobile home parks and RV parks are very different are two very different things. And so I have the RV parks, and RV parks can be both long term and short term. The short term RV parks can be. Even different within themselves. So you can have the resort style that you go to and there's a huge water park and, you know, there's hay rides and people go and they never leave the property. And then you can have parks that are short term, but they're on the side of an interstate. There are people who are going on a really long road trip and they stop to sleep there overnight, just like maybe a holiday inn on the side of the interstate might be. Got RV parks just like that. And then you have those seasonal short term parks that we were talking about that might be um, in the north. And what happens there is those people will leave their RVs there for a season. So sometimes they're paying a seasonal rate of a couple thousand dollars and they're going to leave their RV there for a couple months. Think of this like their lake house. They live somewhere within you know, a couple hours of the property and they go here on the weekends for fun, which is still kind of a short term thing because your, your guests are coming and going, but it's a little bit long term because... You don't need to get new tenants or customers every two to three days
0: you so said that you said mobile home parks like the returns aren't as great, so why do you think uh
1: so the returns is- they can be so mobile home parks uh, have gotten a lot more institutional over the last ten years they um there aren't you can't get new zoning and permitting oftentimes there's there's definitely some exceptions to that to build new mobile home parks because the cities don't, don't want them there. And, and, and sometimes you can, but more often than not, you can't. And so the way that the mobile home parks operate is really attractive because you're just renting out the land. So you're, yeah. you're collecting just lot rent. Um, some, there's park-owned homes and tenant-owned homes, uh, which is a whole other conversation on and institutional buyers typically only buy uh, parks that have tenant-owned homes. And so because of that and and their less active assets, meaning not as much management, they will pay those lower cap rates. So they'll get lower returns. But because they're large institutions, their money is cheaper than you or me who might go to the bank and get a normal bank loan. You know, they have private investors that that have different expectations than, say, a bank would of us.
0: And the tenant's not really going to leave because they can't really grab take up their exactly. whole house.
1: And it leave. costs them five, six, seven thousand dollars to move their house somewhere else.
0: It's hmm. interesting. <laughs> so, doing all this, what's your what's your favorite one? Because you sound like you you had RV parks, you have short term, you have like all these different things. What's yeah. is your favorite?
1: You know, it's funny. So I bought, a lot of people have a mentor or a a relative or somebody to kind of walk them through this and I didn't have anybody. I was guessing all along the way. So I bought a couple different asset classes to dabble in some different things and figure out what it was. And one of the things I bought was student housing. I hate student housing. There's so many people who love student housing and they make awesome money on student housing. It was not for me. I think going from you know Section Eight tenants to students that like need their toilet plunged and can't change their light bulb just was it for me. Um, so I can tell you what my favorite is not, um, but I do love the RV parks. the The limitless options for making extra money in the side hustles at each of those properties are a lot of fun. The I was just doing the inventory for one of the camp stores. And the camp store alone at that property brought in $200,000 year to date. So even the fun side of that, of getting to pick out all this stuff that the campers are going to buy and that you're going to sell in that property, uh, or you know, the side hustle of the laundry machines. I really like the flexibility of the RV parks. And, and it's a huge growing industry. Um, and it's bigger than most people realize. It's a $115 billion industry, which is 2.2% of our GDP. So it's kind of this hidden asset class that not everybody's paid attention to.
0: Yeah. So don't tell anyone about it until you buy it all, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Make sure you bought everything you want before it, you start telling It, it is everybody. cool though that
0: the fact that like, even like mobile home parks, a lot of time it's just like one income. But with RV parks, you can have like multiple streams of income inside that one piece of uh, property. I think that's really cool.
2: It is. You almost and- have all these
0: separate businesses that... All make you money because it's almost like almost limited potential. Yeah,
2: It's like you're in a little city basically. Yeah. It
1: like, is. Even the me. amount of firewood that we sell is like just astronomical. And so there's also another side of that because you're like we talked about, you're actively managing a business. It's not just real estate. And so within that, um, you're running it with a software, and so the software that I use is called CampSpot, and they have this really neat thing called dynamic pricing. And so I switched to that, um, I think it was three years ago. And so there's two, two, there's a lot of great things about the software, but there's two that really make a difference, the dynamic pricing and the site optimization. So I'll explain that to you. At 50% off RV park, a huge part of it is operations. You know, you're running a, a full fledged business. And one of the most important pieces there is going to be your software. And so I converted to a significantly more sophisticated software a couple years ago. It's called Camp Spot. And the neat, there's two things I really like about it. So one of them is called dynamic pricing. And this is something that you'll see in a hotel or maybe in the way an airline operates. As people who own um, multifamily, Or even single-family homes. You think of, oh, well, how much is your rent? I rent it out for $1,200 a month or or something like that. Well, with dynamic pricing, I can have a base rate of, say, $50 a night. But depending on what's going on in the area or if it's a holiday or maybe it's the summertime and it's really demanding, I can set my base rate. And then at 50% occupancy, my price increases 10% every 10% of occupancy. So that site may be bringing in more like $100 a night once that occupancy increases. And that alone grew my revenue by 50% a couple years ago when I switched to software. I say that alone. The dynamic pricing mixed with the site optimization. Because if you picture the way this works is you've got all of your site numbers down one column and the dates that people are going to visit on another. And if somebody books and says, hey, I want to stay in site number 10, and they book site number 10, and then someone's like, I want to stay in site number 12, but they're coming these dates later, then... Um, you can't book that site there. And you have this kind of block. But if you don't let people pick those sites and the software is able to optimize that and move them here, then you've opened up a whole nother week to bring in a- another couple thousand bucks. So that sophistication of the software within your oper- operations is a huge game changer.
0: Yeah, I've heard someone do that for like short-term Airbnbs and stuff yes. like that. They've done that a... But that was the first time I've heard it for like something other than uh, other than that so yes. do you when you uh, I guess do you have your own personal site and you have uh, where you pick your day and you use that accordingly
1: exactly exactly so even though I have short-term rentals there I don't need a platform like Airbnb in order to be able to rent those out
0: do you use Airbnb for them or no I
1: don't I don't I don't need that that platform and they stay at in uh-huh. the 90s in occupancy yeah, that's good. At
0: least they don't take like part of your uh, exactly. Money either.
1: You're not <laughs> so. paying that fee. <laughs> oh, oh.
0: so uh, what other lessons have you learned? Like almost being like as an asset manager over a lot of these uh, like RV parks and mobile home parks and everything like that. What are some of the main key things that you learned as like an operator?
1: I think it's important to know where your like what your position is and what your role is because a lot of times we're still small business owners so a lot of times you feel like i don't know if people think they're the best at everything or they think that they just have to be the one that does everything i can remember my second year running the the office in that first property and i was married at the time and um my ex-husband looked at me and he said did you just hang up on somebody <laughs> And they, they were yelling at me and saying all kinds of crazy stuff and I just hung up the phone. <laughs> and, you know, a, a normal customer service rep would have said something really great and maybe turn the conversation around or, or whatever. That's not me. Like, I do not have the personality for that position, but I have a fabulous property manager now and she has the personality for that. She can turn around any conversation and make it a positive outcome for the guest, like learning what your role is and what your role isn't is really important when you're operating a property like that.
0: So what is your role? What do
1: you love to do? I love the visionary side of that and figuring out all of those side hustles and figuring out, um, you know, what we're going to offer the guests next and what kind of activities we're going to have at the property. What's going to be inside that camp store that we're selling. Hey, we're going to start running golf carts because that's trending a big thing yeah. in the industry now is all these unique experiences. So adding the glamping um, portion of the property, that visionary side of it is my favorite part of the role. I also really enjoy managing my staff. Um, the property manager that I just talked about, um, her and then another maintenance manager that I have, I couldn't have what I have today without both of them. And they, and one of them was had been to prison and came to me straight out of prison needing a job. And seeing him turn his life around and have a family now and being a great dad and being able to support his family, I've, I love that part of my job. And so it's not quite that daily active inside the business that's for me.
0: Yeah. So you like working on the business, not necessarily in the business. But that's what yes. they always say that like if you really want to grow your business, you can't work in your business. You got to work on, on it.
1: You probably couldn't work in your business and hang up on customers and
2: still have a business <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> Do you think though, like starting out, that that was important to your success? Like you just diving in and doing it all yourself? That way Absolutely. you knew what you needed out of people?
1: Absolutely. And there's definitely a time in everybody's business, you know, unless you're, you know, given some money or marrying into some money or something like that, that you knew, you do wear a lot of hats and you, and you play all those roles. And and you need to know how to do all those roles. And, and I can step in and run the office for a little bit, but I definitely have a limit where I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm not the one for that role.
0: So one of the main things we're kind of dealing with now is like, how do you – because you just said you uh, were, uh, were married. How, how do you kind of deal with everything? Hey, you have these dreams <laughs> you want to accomplish, but hey, you have maybe a family and kids. How do you kind of do everything?
1: Well – it didn't work out for me. I've been divorced four years, so I am not a good example of that. Uh, there are a lot of people who seem to do well, and the thing I notice the most with the people who do well is they divide the roles and they stay in their lane. If you say, you know, Timothy, you're going to be in in charge of maintenance, and you know, you're going to run the office. Timothy probably shouldn't give you any opinions on running the office and you probably shouldn't give him any opinions on maintenance. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, it's more like you're each other's boss and it's a little harder to get along than if you pick those lanes and just go with it. Yeah. Stay responsible for your own thing. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So what about with like uh, having kids because you want to be there for them and their, their journey and everything, but you can't just go in the office and sleep on the floor. Uh, so I next, got yeah. I got
1: pregnant with my first child the same month I bought my first property. So I have nice. three kids now and um, I drag them everywhere and I homeschool and I am not the typical parent. I don't believe in the way people parent now where kids are in 27 different sports and parents' lives are totally ruined because you're at every practice and every game and it, it creates this entitled child that thinks the whole world revolves around them. And they also don't know how to be bored and creative because they've been entertained their whole lives. So my kids, um, my daughter on her last birthday, I bought her her first mobile home and um, she gets to learn how how to do a little profit. Say it again? How old is she? She's nine, my oldest. And so she gets to learn how to do her profit and loss statement and and schedule her person to mow the grass. and if they call a complaint, she gets to learn to find a plumber and and things like that. So I think teaching them those life skills are a whole lot more important than the way a traditional family operates in the United States now. so it's it's learning to be okay having a different lifestyle than some people have, yeah.
0: is she is she better at like h r stuff like <laughs> yes that's what i feel like i'd be really bad at hr that's like emily's that's what i do
2: professionally
1: yeah that's awesome that's all
0: she does that's awesome
1: you'll see pictures of me and i've got one kid strapped to the front of me i got one kid strapped to the back of me and then there's a maintenance guy over here and he's got a kid strapped to him too like you you just make it work yeah that's awesome
0: so um i guess back to the uh the property like was that RV park? Is that your most successful uh, one you've one you've had so far?
1: So I think people measure success on different things. You know, some people are looking for cash on cash. Some people are looking for um, kind of that year over year growth, and they want the equity. So cash on cash for sure. I mean that place is is killing it. Um, I have a couple mobile home parks that do really well also um that I like a lot. They don't have as much flexibility as that property does. And and honestly, both asset classes did shockingly well through uh the pandemic. I was yeah. really surprised by you know, all my tenants paid. The people were still camping. Actually camping has grown tremendously throughout yeah. the pandemic because people yeah. wanted that seclusion. So definitely the RV parks and mobile home parks have been the most successful
0: so do you are you the uh manager all or do you own them all yourself like is just just you or are you partners also
1: i do um I am the sole owner of all of them which you. um, thanks and so I have about thirty million dollars in real estate right now, but my goal is that by my fortieth birthday to have two hundred million so I only have a couple years left so i'm uh I just finished all the paperwork for a fund and we'll start syndicating some of those RV parks moving forward, working with some partners.
0: So is that, so just our RV parks or like mobile home parks also?
1: Both. Um, the, again, the mobile home parks are a little more uh, competitive. So I don't imagine I will end up with quite as many mobile home parks in that portfolio, but definitely nice to have them stabilize the portfolio.
0: Uh, I guess going forward, are you going to be – are you kind of the lone wolf? Are you doing it uh, all by yourself or are you – you and your team, I mean. Or do you have partners also?
1: Yeah. So I am going to bring partners on for moving forward. The the deal I just left um, and I'm in the middle of writing my LOI when I'm done with y'all is $40 million. That's a little out of my budget. (laughs) I'm going to need some partners on that one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So are you, obviously the whole mobile home RV parks are like um, your niche as far as yes. real estate. But are you, do you also look for more like duplexes and quadplexes and all that to keep your options open? Or is this kind of what you're running with since it's working so well?
1: So I would buy, um, du- so I do well with networking in the areas that I buy in and I would buy duplexes or triplexes that are near some of the other stuff that I own. Um And I also, I kind of specialize in that smaller multifamily when it comes to a different type of asset class. It seems to be stuff that's more like six to 20 units. Um, I buy those that are extremely distressed. Like the last one, I had to repair the foundation and everything, but they work out as really great burr deals. Um, The last one I bought was a 12 unit and I paid $300,000 for it. Uh, Put a couple thousand in or a couple hundred thousand in. And then, uh, it appraised for 1.2 million, pulled the money out and went and bought the next one. So I do the burr deals on the smaller multifamily.
2: Very oh,
0: cool. I guess uh, one of my questions is I don't really see that many like RV parks for sale. So where do you go about like finding a like RV parks for sale? to buy? Yeah, they're
1: definitely not on the MLS. <laughs> and so a big part of it is relationships. Uh, the last one that I, not the 40 million one, one, the one before that, um, one of my neighbors. Uh, I've been begging him to let me buy his park for three years. And he finally texts me and he's like, Heather, I think I'm ready to sell. So a lot of it is relationships because that uh, asset class is uh, 88% owned by mom and pops. So most of it is is small business owners. And so building a relationship with those people in areas that you're looking to buy in, it, it's kind of your long game. But as far as short term people who are like, OK, I want to buy by the end of the year, uh, LoopNet and Crexy are both sites that have commercial real estate on them in places that you're going to find more uh, RV parks or mobile home parks listed.
0: So, if someone wanted, was interested in, so I guess someone listened to the podcast and they say, "Oh, I want to get into RV parks." What would you, what would you suggest is the best way to, to get in that? If they, if they were like you and they didn't, they didn't want to partner and uh, uh, join the fun, what would, what would they do?
1: <laughs> so, because all of this was so hard to figure out when I first started, and I feel like my learning curve should have been shorter. Um, I started my social media account like six months ago, which I think is how we found each other. Yes. And I started posting all these TikToks and um, Instagram reels about RV parks. And um, I couldn't believe how many people were interested in it. I think I'm at 30,000 followers on TikTok now of all these people who are interested in like renting their campers out and all these different things. So you can find a ton of free information on uh, social media on the on the properties as well as I teach a class and have a mastermind group so it's a lot easier for people to get that information now but as far as financing goes which I think is where your where your question was headed a little bit um because the properties are less institutional a higher percentage of them are willing to owner finance than you might find in like a duplex or a triplex so sometimes you can get owner financing um, you can also go through your local banks and credit unions. they're easier to deal with than a larger institutional bank might be to get financing but but the reality is they they aren't cheap. you know you're not buying that one unit or that those two units typically you know even a small park might have twenty sites um so you're you're looking at a couple hundred thousand dollars into the millions of dollars so and they're, they're commercial loans. They aren't, you can't get your house hacking three and a half percent FHA loan and, and go try out for the first time. So it, it seems to be not that you can't start out with RVs because you obviously you can, but you need to have either some partners or some investors. If you haven't already saved a good amount of money, I know that a good bit of my students, they have some form of smaller portfolio that they're transitioning out of. Maybe they're going to sell three or four of their duplexes and go buy their first RV park or they're refinancing out because of the growth they've seen in their properties lately and using that money that they've used in the from the refi and they're going to buy an RV park now.
0: So how do you know a uh, an RV park is a good deal? Because then it's not like, you know, you see like an apartment building. I feel like it's not as like generic. Like you look at cap rates, here's your return. You know everyone, you, ever you kind of know the area. I feel like kind of being an RV park is kind of like you almost kind of be like kind of creative. It's like a hit or miss. Yeah.
1: It is. It's it's more of an art than a science, you know. With, when you're talking about, with you're looking at an apartment building, you kind of got your five or six things you're looking for. Okay, how much is the insurance? What's the rent roll? How much are they paying in taxes? You've got your your checklist of things that you're going through. And because an RV park is is a full fledged business, you're looking at a profit and loss statement. And there's a ton of different lines on your income because, like we just talked about, you've got all these additional side hustles. You've got short term rentals and long term rentals and alternative accommodations and all these different things mixed in. And then same on the expense side. So you're really learning how to read a profit and loss statement for that asset class is key to figuring out what the property is actually worth. Because you'll notice things where you're like, why is your electric bill so cheap? Are you sure that's right? Or, you know, why is the water bill so high? Looking through and actually learning how to read that is is really important to making sure you're getting a good deal.
0: So there's not necessarily anything kind of specific of like what you kind of want to see numbers wise to make it a good deal or a bad deal?
1: Well, it depends on what you're trying to buy. So some people like buying turnkey properties that are already ready to go. And then they're going to be looking for very specific things that are going to have to do with, you know, are there... Any deferred maintenance? You know, is there a team already in place that's going to stay? Anybody who is looking for turnkey properties would be looking for different things than I like buying distressed properties that I can turn around. And I want operations to be distressed. I want their tech, to, their technology to be wrong. I want their sites to need improvement because that's where where you make the money to pull it out and go buy the next one.
0: Yeah, so, so you're looking at something like, hey, like they do this really bad. I know I can make this better so I can make it more successful.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're, they're taking their reservations on paper still <laughs> like we yeah. can implement software and have 25% growth tomorrow. You know, so it's like it's the a- reason
0: this business is struggling right now is because they do not have me right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. They need some systems and processes in place and they'd be good to go.
0: So let's say, for instance, let's say for me, let's say I was looking at an RV park right now I went, and I wanted to like invest because around here in Virginia, like the Peaks of Otter and like Brewage Parkway is really big for like campgrounds and everything like that. Yeah. So let's say like how do you even re- find the owners and reach out to the, the owners of the uh, the RV parks?
1: Sure. So there is a, a website called Good Sam and Good Sam is a camping membership that people who go camping belong to. And so Good Sam goes through the whole country and they rate each park um, with three ratings. And it has to do with their facilities, like how nice the bathrooms are, and how what their grounds look like. But the reason that's important to you is if you go to that website, you can type in a town and you'll see all of the RV parks that are available in that town for a consumer to go stay at. Well, you as an investor now know which properties are there and could start cold calling or sending out mail outs, going to visit them, whatever your method for getting deals is, there's your list of people to go look for.
0: So DM all the one stars.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's pretty good. I didn't didn't think about it. Cause I was looking at, I was, cause uh, once I started learning about more about you on social media and what you were doing, I was looking at it. I was like, man, I don't even know how to go about even finding these RV parks. Cause I remember going to camping as a kid over there. And I mean, I just remember everything was like run down. I just don't know how do I even, what the process is to do that. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and run down, it depends on which parts run down. You know, if it's a property that is using um, city water and city sewer, their run down isn't going to be as expensive as somebody on private utilities that has a packaging plant that's, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for you to replace just to get the sewer going. So those run down really depends on what exactly is run down. Yeah.
0: So um, I know Emily loves these so much, but like tiny homes, uh, and I think yeah. you mentioned them earlier. Do you uh, do you have those on your uh, your RV park? And if so, do like people actually like them as much as like my wife says they like?
1: Them?
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're just trendy right now. Emily we and I are going to be best really- friends.
1: <laughs> They're one of my favorite things. So uh, I do have a property that has 21 of them and it's part of the whole glamping craze. It The yeah. tiny homes aren't actually something that's legal. They're, they either need to be built as a manufactured home or as an RV. So in order to be properly permitted to be in some locations, they need to be what's called RVIA certified. So they're built on a chassis. I'm sure you've seen all the shows with them being built and they need to be permitted by somebody for the city to allow them to be there. And so they're essentially campers. They even meet the same requirements. They have to be 399 square feet or less. And so I have 21 of those in one location and they run just like an Airbnb would They're short term rentals. They have an average stay of three days and uh, those 21 bring in about a half a million dollars a year. So they have been a really neat addition to that property.
0: Did you have any like doubts on like, oh, I'm gonna put tiny homes here or anything like that? Cause I feel like it's like, <laughs> hey, it sounds cool, but it's almost like a little nerve wracking. Like, let's say it's all like this one campground, it's just campgrounds. How do I know? That the tiny homes are going to be successful, and you just kind of had to go for it and hope for the yeah, best. Yeah, I
1: don't for think it. you can sit and think about any of it because you. Will, yes. There's a book <laughs> called um, Actually, it's right here. Emily needs to buy you this. <laughs> it's called <laughs> the five second rule by All Mel right. Robbins. If you aren't familiar with it, she talks about how any of those kinds of things, you you count down from five, five, four, three, two, one, and just do it. Because if you sit and think about any of that stuff, you're going to talk yourself out of it. You yeah. can come up with a million reasons to not do everything. <laughs>
0: So were you reading this book at the campground? Is this how all this happened?
1: (laughs) No, I have a ton of students that, that have the same kind of thing. So like, I just don't know if it's a good idea. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. Just do it, and and because once you do it, you have no choice but to go all in and get really aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, you've got to make it work. You know, some people will kind of dip their toe in the water and buy two or three. I bought fifteen when I first started, so they needed to work. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: there's no turning back. Yeah.
0: So, with you saying that, was there any hard lessons and stories that you had to kind of deal with through uh, the five seconds to go for it?
1: I think the hardest things for me have been dealing with city planning and zoning. Uh, They are no joke. And so even I built a new playground like two years ago and I had to have a a contractor sign off on it and like different things for installing it. Once you get into those commercial deals, dealing with planning and zoning is so much more difficult and necessary than when you have a duplex or a triplex. Mm -hmm. So learning to... Dot all your i's and cross all your t's with city planning and zoning has probably been some of my biggest lessons.
0: So, I know just to wrap up, you said you mentioned you're doing a, a fund. Uh, can you tell us kind of like uh, like what's your I guess your offering for like a new investors and stuff like that?
1: Yes, uh, we just finished out all of the legal paperwork and it's called uh, Blank Capital. My last name is Blankenship. And so uh, all those details will be released soon on the fund, but it's for people looking to invest with better returns than they might get in the stock market or definitely than their savings account, but yeah. not somebody who <laughs> wants to go out and uh, put all the effort in that we do as real estate investors.
0: I feel like it's got like a like a RV parks. It might have a little bit more risk. But I feel like the upside is a lot more though.
1: It is. And the risk isn't as high as you would think with um, when you look at the year over year trends over the last decade or even longer, it's had that steady 20 to 30% growth every year. It's just gotten more mainstream as uh, COVID has hit. The media seem to pay a little bit more attention to it. So it's not as risky and trendy as it might sound. It's just getting more attention lately. Nice. Okay.
2: Well, where can we find you as far as your different parks and social media and all that?
1: Yes, yeah, so you can uh, go to my website at heatherblankenship.com or on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm Heather Blankenship X3. Nice.
2: All right.
0: Well, I really appreciate you coming on here, and I've learned a lot.